0: Welcome to the ACOFP Student Podcast, a production of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. Hello, and welcome to ACOFP Student Podcast. My name is Emily Collin, and I served as last year's parliamentarian on the National Student Executive Board, and this year, I'm actually chairing the Student Resolutions Committee. So for our look at OMM and family medicine today, I'm going to be taking a little bit of a different angle and interviewing Dr. Jennifer McPeak, who primarily focuses her osteopathic practice on OMM and neuromuscular skeletal medicine. Dr. McPeak is a graduate of the University of New England, COM, in Portland, Maine, and she has an extensive practice with collaborative medicine that serves her patients in everything from suffering neurotrauma and seizure disorders to postpartum care, birth trauma, and musculoskeletal medicine, and that's really just to name a few things that she does. Dr. McPeak has founded several of her own practices, and she now resides in Seamboat Springs, Colorado, where she has established a flourishing practice over the last 12 years. Dr. Jennifer McPeak has truly been an inspiration to me, and she really is the primary reason that I decided to become an osteopathic family physician. So I'd like to give her a warm welcome, and thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me. Um,
0: so Dr. McPeak, I, we've interviewed some people who primarily focus on family medicine and talked about how they use OMM in their practice. And you are so unique because your practice is mostly OMM. However, you do see families, you see every kind of person with every kind of disorder. And I personally have shadowed you in these settings and seen you do miraculous things. And I was hoping that maybe you could start by telling us a little bit about as an NMM physician, um, if you have a patient that comes in and maybe has never experienced OMM before, what are some of the things you do to get them feeling a little bit more comfortable with your practice?
1: Well, I would say a few things um, one I, I have a number of people like that, um, and it starts actually with my receptionist. I think I have an awesome receptionist who understands my work and is really great with um talking to people about that and helping them to feel heard. And also it's really good with boundaries on finances. So I think that's a key for people to remember. But then it goes on into when I see them, I have them fill out a fairly detailed history form. So that gives them a chance to really think things over um, when, and why they're coming to me, what are their things they're struggling with and um then I sit down with them I spend an hour with people initially so I listen to them I take time and to really ask um why do you think this happened when did this start and um I was always taught in school that if you really listen to the patient they will give you um a lot of the answer (laughs) a lot of times so um then I uh let's see i also observe how they walk in what's their demeanor do they seem irritated do they seem depressed anxious any of those things and i just make a note of all those things when i thought about this question actually when you asked me before i realized i do those things without even thinking about it so then i explained to them i asked them do you have questions for me and sometimes or most of the time they say, well, I have no idea what you do, what you tell me. (laughs) I say, well, I listen with my hands to your system and um, develop a rapport, basically, to um, find out what's going on. And so then we move to the table, and I usually start either at the sacrum or at the feet, and I talk about how important it is to um, work on their core vitality first, um, kind of the engine of their car. And, um, most people are like, Oh, okay. You know, it's like, I even say, if your if your battery's low on voltage, it's not going to work to shining up the hubcaps, you know, and fix your. So in order for your need to really hold, um, a shift, I need to make sure you have good life force and vitality in your central nervous system and your immune system. So we talk about that and that's mostly, yeah, that's mostly how I answer that question.
0: (laughs) Okay. Um, that's really an amazing answer actually, because I think it brings to light so many different things. Like you said that we learn in school as osteopaths. And I think that explaining it for you and your, and your practice and how you approach it, um, is very helpful for students because I think so many of us take for granted that thought like your patient encounter, it starts the minute the person walks in the door. And so I think it is really important to remember them walking is just as much of an importance as it is whatever it is they tell you, you know, looking at the expression on their face. And, and I love how you talked about your receptionist and Making the patient feel comfortable the minute they walk in the door, and um, I, yeah, I love that. So um, you also talked just now about the vitality of your patient and you know the engine of the car, and I think that is really important um, to think about, you know, you can't shine the hub cap. And expect everything to get better. If the engine isn't working, the engine isn't working. And so, um, how is it that you you get boost the system? So I want to go um, back to talking about like the the approach of your um, your patient and the difference of your practice. In that, you know, a lot of a lot of students will find it difficult to use OMM and the basic tenets of OMM in their their initial learnings, and then when they go out in the clinic. So when you say that you are feeling for the vitality of their nervous system, like physically, what are the things that that you're feeling in their sacrum? And what are the things that you might be feeling um, at their feet that is telling you a little bit more about that?
1: Well, I would say – my teacher, it really helps to apprentice with someone and so that you begin to feel the subtle differences with a cranial approach because um, they are pretty subtle. and so learning to feel the difference between and I and I have a like a little checklist I go through pretty much with everyone what does the fluid feel like what do the membranes feel like where are the bones and how tight are the muscles etc um how is their sympathetic uh, parasympathetic balance so i ask all those things and check there's i keep at as a whole how's their whole system feeling there might be a few places that are really tight but how is everything else working also and then if i'm not sure later when i've made a difference i go back to where i was in the beginning and then generally like oh yeah that fluid is flowing better there's more release in this one area that was really tight, Um, I would say that's, does that answer your question?
0: Yeah, yeah, it does. Thank you. Um, And I do think, you know, it's important to remember that these things, you're not going to feel necessarily the first time that you do it, or maybe the 50th time. It, It takes that training and being with the right teacher and really digging deep, into figuring out how your body feels it personally too as the practitioner, would you say?
1: Yeah, I think actually that was the other thing I wanted to say is just getting your hands on lots of people, even, you know, you may not have a lot of opportunity to do cranial in your rotations or, you know, but you have your hands on people a lot. And Mm -hmm. if you remember, even through surgeries or doing deliveries and doing even radiology, you're looking at anatomy and you're adding that into your knowledge base, into your head and into your hands. And the more you feel people from people who are in ICU with CHF or COPD to little kids, (laughs) you'll feel differences. And then, that adds to what you feel in your practice as well. And you know what feels healthy and vital and what feels more depleted.
0: Yeah, that's also a great reminder for us is that I think, especially when you're in your first two years of medical school, you have the opportunity to practice on all of your colleagues. And I think that we get so caught up in some of the aspects of our curriculum that we forget about this unique opportunity to serve our peers that will serve us later as physicians, um, especially in the family medicine clinic. So thank you for that. Um, Can you tell me on that note a little bit, like, have you ever experienced working with a patient who you felt something and you felt like maybe you should stop, like there was a contraindication of some sort? And what was that? Or maybe you haven't felt that before.
1: Hmm. Um, I can't think of anything. I mean, okay. I know, I think the background as a family position is so important as opposed to, well, say, um, a massage therapist who learns cranial sacral in a few weekends, because you really have the knowledge of I mean, I have had it happen that, oh, you know what? You you can't see me today. You've got to go to the ER. You don't seem right. You know, mm-hmm. or you've got to, you know, I can hear that your lung bases. I'm not hearing sounds. I need to send you to get an x-ray. Um, so um, I think, you know, our background is so um Rich for that. You know, you know when to send someone to ER or get an MRI. Um, The two things that I definitely am careful, well, uh, three actually, um, you know, HVLA in elderly. I would never do that. (laughs) I mean, maybe Mm -hmm. some people would, but I just, you know, that was not recommended in school, and I believe that is for good reason. And then um, people with cancer. I suppose that's why. Also, having a network and knowing, um, you know, say if I've got somebody with anxiety and they're really edgy, you know, do they have a counseling appointment set up? Do they? What's their support network? Um, someone with cancer? Where are they in the treatment sequence? Um, is this going to be helpful to them or is there a possible detriment? That's one area. And then also pregnancy. You kind of need to know what techniques do you want to stay away from. Um, but generally it's very helpful. Mm-hmm. Great. That's,
0: that's great answer. Thank you so much.
1: Um,
0: so then taking that a little bit of a different direction, I think that there are many students who can imagine you know, settings in which um, OMM wouldn't serve them, or maybe they wouldn't know how to use OMM or cranial. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a unique situation or a unique patient type that you've worked with, that you found your um, work to be really helpful with that maybe students wouldn't necessarily think about.
1: Oh, my gosh, there's so many areas. (laughs) um, That's hard to know. I mean, and parents and people don't know about what we do enough, really. But once people come, I mean, my gosh, anything from helping um, the delivery, uh, you know, pregnancy and delivery, um, to helping the newborn decompress, even if they had a fairly non-traumatic birth, um, concussions. um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, just, oh my gosh.
0: (laughs) Well, and I remember um, shadowing a few unique patients with you that I was always surprised seeing how much you could do, whether it was, you know, mental illness um, and helping young people with issues of depression or anxiety and seeing that kind of progress or you know birth trauma spina bifida and seeing how people's systems start to work in such a way that they can they can move in ways they never really realized was possible so
1: yeah there's um, sometimes patients who um well one who had a fatty acid chain disorder and I saw her as a little girl um, and it didn't change the course of her illness. She died when she was 13. Um, however, it changed the quality of her life because she didn't need to be on antibiotics nearly as much because her ears ended up not being so congested and she didn't have such bad headaches because of the sluggishness of the fluid. Um, it's very supportive in so many other things like Lyme disease, helping things clear out, helping the immune system work better, and the fluids and the lymphatic system work better. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Really. Um, thank you for sharing that. And and I think that that is really important for students to hear that even if OMM is not the primary treatment that you use for a patient, I I feel like there's always a way for it to assist and improve the quality of life. I think, you know, we're so blessed as... Um, osteopathic physicians to have that extra tool in our toolbox and I really want to emphasize to people how wonderful it can be for us to utilize that for our patients and not underestimate that gift that we're given in school so
1: yeah um, it's I think also Emily it's really what you said about teenagers you know who maybe have anxiety depression or even just social awkwardness and um, it's kind of nice with some of them, they feel good, and sometimes they've asked even to come. Some kids who we, I never even imagined would, I'm not sure if they like it or not, and then they say, hey, i here again, because um, they feel heard, they feel, I, you know, it, they, and it's not a counselor. <laughs> I mean, you know, mm-hmm. we do so much, and um, just being. Touched, even if you're a family doctor and you're putting your hand on your sh- on someone's shoulder or you're feeling their spine or whatever, that connection is really huge, and I don't think MDs get that as much, and I do think that people, particularly right now with this whole pandemic, people need that.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, actually, and that's a really great point. Um, how are you approaching your practice right now with the pandemic?
1: Well, I'm still open and my practice has diminished the number of people, but um, I'm still open because it really helps the parasympathetic-sympathetic balance, which is huge. I feel a lot of people that have a lot of angst right now about what's really going to happen. And then also um, the immune balance and helping the lymphatic system, keeping things healthy with your upper respiratory system is definitely um, a huge plus. (laughs) Plus, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely, um, and I think you know it's, we were talking before this about how um, these kind of pandemics this might not be the first one that we see, so you know, thinking about how you can maneuver your practice and what things are still important to figure out a way to make happen, and I think that this is definitely one of them, so um, so I'm wondering if you have in in your current practice or in the past found yourself encountering any barriers, um, with OMM and, you know, perhaps that's on a level with your patients, perhaps it's on a level with establishing your practice or even with insurance companies. Like, what do you feel like are some of the biggest barriers that you've faced?
1: Um, let's see. I think probably, um, Well, probably my own internal (laughs) confidence. You know, it's a lot for someone who's somewhat of an introvert to begin to just pick up the telephone and say, hey, can I have coffee with you? (laughs) I initially started my practice. I, I was a rolfer before I went to medical school. And so I had set up my own practice at that time and learned from another rolfer how to do that. And it takes a lot of courage to just start cold calling people and saying, hey, can I come talk to your group or whatever? So I started doing that also right out of my residency. And um, so learning how to speak about what I do, sometimes learning, uh, particularly if there's a person that I feel oh, nervous around, sometimes I get my tongue tied. But uh, mostly it's, if you approach it like it's fun, it, it is. Um, there's been sometimes some... Uh, doctors in the community that have been very, um, I don't know, a little bit standoffish or geez, I don't know, believe, um, believe in what you do, et cetera. And I just kept going. I was like, well, you know, people will come, people will get better. And actually one doctor in town who was initially kind of cold to me, warmed up after a while and said, Hey, you know, I keep hearing about what you do and how it's helped my patients. Could you give my staff and I a, um, an in-service? And so we did, and we refer patients back and forth now really well. So that is, there's that, you know, your work will stand for itself, whatever Mm -hmm. your specialty is and whatever competition is in the community.
0: That's really wonderful to hear, because I think that that's another thing that a lot of people question is, like, how your reputation, you know, like, how do you get the word out there and get people to invest in you? And and I think, like you said, the work will speak for itself, and you change people's lives, and there's no uh, getting around that as a fact, so...
1: Yeah we, Thank a, you. yeah, we have a lot of people, and, and it's so great when someone you know, comes in with a problem that they have had for a number of years, and they've tried different things, and nothing has really, hap- has really helped, and you say, okay, well, gee, I don't know if I can help either, but I'm going to try, and you have to just trust what you feel and do work, and then when it turns out really that they feel better. It's really rewarding. And those people will tell other people because they have at times not been listened to by medical professionals, or they have been given medicine or treatment that actually made things worse. So it's a good option. Yeah. I
0: agree. <laughs> um, so, how you know in school? Obviously, in the first two years, we learn a lot, and then we go out on our rotations. And some of us have access to a lot of DOs um, wherever our rotations may be, and others don't. And even some of the DOs we might work with may not practice OMM. So, I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about some resources that you might suggest, and maybe ways that you uh, have been able to keep up with your knowledge of things changing in the field?
1: Well, I generally go to a class at least twice a year, if not three times a year, if I can. And you do, it's a, great community, actually. Um, You recognize people over the years that have continued to come and work this way. Um, I would say there are study groups that I've been involved with, um, continuing some reading, continuing to ask questions yourself, even with your while you're, as you're working, I mean, I'm still learning. I'm still like, wow, oh, I wonder why it does that. <laughs> you know, yeah. just asking yourself, why is something moving in a certain way or why is it not? And what is that related to? Um, I mean, you continue your own learning in that way. Um, I think um, some of the resources I've been very grateful for I got to apprentice actually quite a lot with Dr. James Jealous and he has the biodynamics group um which is one approach that's very very helpful he he talks a lot about the fluids and the embryological blueprint so he has um a really different kind of enriching approach and then also people that are a little bit more um uh, Um, mechanical, I suppose, but not like I know I've done just to broaden my own um, abilities. Jane Carrero has been someone I've worked with. Um, And then the osteopathic center for children in San Diego has been wonderful. They offer a lot of different classes. And then once you start doing that, you'll begin to see, Oh yeah, I want to work with there. I do want to work with um, Eric Dolgen with some dental work that he's, um, perfected and so you you, um just get exposed to more and more folks that way
0: (laughs) yeah great so yeah i definitely agree with that kind of you have to put yourself out there find some conferences classes and then one thing seems to lead to another as far as your education with it so yeah yeah. um well i'm i'm almost out of questions here but i do want to ask you um I mean, as I said, you've been such an incredible inspiration to me. And part of that was because I met you through a personal injury that I had, um, with a traumatic brain injury and a pretty massive concussion. And like you said, I'd I'd seen a number of doctors that couldn't do anything for me. And all of a sudden it seemed within minutes that you changed my life and I wanted to be able to do the same for other people. Um, And I want to know some of your inspirations and perhaps what is the most rewarding thing about your job and what you've seen in your work through OMM? Uh Let's see. and maybe there is not one singular thing because that's sort of a big loaded question.
1: (laughs) Well, I feel, um, well, one little uh, example, one way I wanted to say that um, is a great way to explain To people, what I do, which is a good analogy, is from an Australian osteopath who helped me a lot. And he would say, well, when we start our lives, we're like a piece of rope that has lots of slack in it. And every time we have an injury, a little or even an emotional injury, doesn't have to be a physical one, a little slack gets taken out. And eventually, there's no slack in the rope. So it starts to show up as anxiety or pain. And our job as an osteopath is put slack back in the rope. And people get that analogy. It's very simple, and it makes a lot of sense to me. So I would say for my inspiration, I've had some wonderful teachers, both um, actual teachers and some were patients. (laughs) Um, What I love the most is when – it it is very rewarding to see someone uh, feel better, but it's also – even more so when something happens that's bigger than what you could understand. I mean, it's like they, if you can connect someone deeper to themselves and to uh, the divine in my sense, that it's profound and you can see it for the patient. They feel that and they're like, I don't know how to describe that exactly, but that is really so wonderful. Like, um, first time that happened was when I was at a class with Dr. Jealous, and he talked about um, going to the most quiet place within yourself so that you could treat. And then also he talked about love. And I heard my kids at the other end of the room later when I was with my partner and working on her, and I just thought, had this weird thought like, wow, that's what, that's what God feels for us, that kind of love. It was really, I mean, it sounds maybe odd, but that I feel like that space of my mind and heart at that moment affected the treatment quality. And the woman I was treating felt it as well. And it was as though her whole rib cage lit up and like released and it wasn't anything i necessarily was trying hard to do it just came from more of that um shift in my perspective
0: well that's a really beautiful thing and thank you for sharing that because i do think it is so important for us <laughs> to look into ourselves and figure out you know why we're doing this and when you find that moment of inspiration it's almost like it it opens it up for all of your patients too, in yeah. another way. Yeah. Um, well, Doctor McPeak, it has been such a pleasure chatting with you today. Um, thank you so much for your time. And is there anything else that you want to leave us with? I mean, you kind of put out there some pretty inspirational
1: stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh, thank you. Been- mm-hmm. Thank you, Emily, for having me do this with you, it's, I'm really glad you're doing this and helping other um, students to understand how this can really be helpful and how you can make a time for doing this. In fact, that's another thing. I had spoken with a doctor who was working with Kaiser. This was a while ago, and she really wanted to do OMAM. She felt a little like her time was crunched with Kaiser. And so she, I suggested we'll just start with a half a day or a whole day that you devote only to OMM. That way you're not distracted with other things like, oh man, do I need to order x-rays or medicines, or I only have 10 minutes with somebody. And that's kind of helpful because then you are in that quiet space for that day. And and then you can, that's a good way to integrate it if you need to.
0: Yeah. And actually that's a, that's a really great point because, you know, so many of us are going to go into practices working for someone else where we're not, we don't have enough time. We're given, you know, 15 minutes with a patient. And so I think finding ways to be able to keep it alive in your practice is, it may be difficult for people, but um, I do know Practitioners out there who can schedule it so that they have a full day that's just OMM, and then they do a full day that um, is focused more on you know primary care um, and the allopathic type of setting. So uh, there, there are ways to do it. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much again, and and I am very hopeful that the word reaches people and that people are excited about what the possibility is as being an osteopathic um, future physician. So thank you to all of you today and be sure to check for future episodes of the ACOFP student podcast. The ACOFP student podcast is a production of the American College of Osteopathic Family Physicians. To learn more about ACOFP, please visit www.acofp.org. Looking for more resources on OMT? Visit ACOFP's OM Teaching at www.acopomteaching.com and ask your institution
1: if they subscribe so you can have access to over 150 OMT videos and support materials.